Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dockyard Roundtable. Uh, really excited to be talking to everyone here today. Thank you for coming, and thank you for listening. My name is Brooklyn Myers. I'm the instructor at Dockyard Academy, uh, and I'm going to let everyone here introduce themselves, starting with Mike. Yeah, my name is Mike Benz. I'm an electrical engineer at Dockyard. And my name is Benny Rosas. I'm an Elixir engineer at Dockyard. And I'm Paolo Valente. I'm also an Elixir engineer at Dockyard. And I, I'm also the one of the maintainers for Elixir NX. And Paolo, I have been hearing that you have been doing some things with machine learning. Uh, that's an area that I have uh, very little experience in. So I'm really excited to hear about your recent experiments, about some of the work you've been doing. Um, so can you tell us about that? Yeah, so lately I've been experimenting a bit with reinforcement learning and getting a framework for that into NX. And today I've been also trying to get Whisper to work with Bumblebee. And for that we need to to get into what the what hugging face models need. Uh, that they call as feature extractors, feature extractors, um, because basically some of the, the models need to get into a higher level of rep data representation, so they can actually extract meaning from numbers, basically. Interesting. So, to get a bit of context around that, can you tell me about the? overall problem that you're trying to solve and how this relates to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so taking a step back, Bumblebee is one of the NX libraries that can load models from Hugging Face, which is a platform that hosts pre-trained models. And for each new type of model that we want to support in Bumblebee, we need to implement something, some, some components for the model like different layers, different different types of feature extractors which convert the input to what the model actually expects. So this model, Whisper, is a speech-to-text model which receives audio and outputs the text that's being actually set into, in the audio. And for audio processing, we can process the audio file directly, which is basically a sequence of numbers, and which we call samples. Or we can extract, extract frequency information over time, which is what I'm currently working on. So you need to separate different windows, uh, different subsets of samples over time in the from the audio file and then from those you you apply the Fourier, Fourier transform to get frequency information and that's what we need to do for whisper to work with bumblebee right now interesting so you essentially have your raw audio data coming in you then need some kind of transformation process to convert that into something that the model will actually understand and work with. Uh, and tell me if I'm wrong with, with any of the steps of this. 
uh, and then you call that, is that the feature layer? Is that what you were referring to as the feature layer? Is essentially that pre-processing? Um, yeah, uh, features are what we process in a model. Mm. So we extract features from the, the raw data. And that's gotcha. the, the feature extraction layer. Gotcha. So how how much data is the model actually looking at? It's not just taking like the raw audio. You're essentially extracting different parameters out of it, turning that into what's called a feature. And then that feature or those features are what go into the model to actually generate the output of the model. Is mm -hmm. that right? Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I don't recall exactly the numbers, but I can give you a general idea on how that works. Um, so for each, imagine you have a five-second audio file, and you want to parse that with Whisper. Um, and that audio file is sampled at 16 kilohertz. So for each second, you have uh, 16,000 samples. You can just feed those those 80,000 samples directly to the model. You have to apply a process called windowing, which will split the, 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 that sequence into like the first 10, and then another group of 10 samples. It's not 10, it's more than that, but just so you can get an idea. And then on each of those groups, you apply what's called a Fourier transform which is a mathematical tool that extracts basically what frequency components are present in that, 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 that set of samples. And that will basically convert your samples from a time domain into a frequency domain. But because you're using windows over time, you now have what's called a time frequency representation of the audio file. You basically have how how much of each frequency component you have over time. Interesting. I have some questions about this also. Mm -hmm. So, like, okay, so Whisper is a application made available by OpenAI. Is it a, is it pre-trained like? Is it kind of ready to go, or do you need to actually train it and it just is sort of like the framework of the model itself? Uh, so everything on, on Hugging Face is pre-trained. Mm -hmm. When you load something from Hugging Face with Mumblebee, it's basically pre-trained and you can it's ready to go. You just need to feed data in a format that it understands. Okay. So that's the conversion I'm doing, for instance. Right, yeah. So, you, that, okay, thanks for clarifying. So, this is just about input into the model that's going to do the transcription of voice to text and not um, trying to give it new training data. Yes. Could, could you train it more <laughs> if you didn't like the state of its training and you wanted to give it some uh, audio that maybe is different than what had been trained on? Yes, I'm not sure about Whisper itself, but I'll, I'll assume that it's uh, just trained on English audio. But you could take that model and retrain it, not from scratch, but from the actual trained weights, uh, 
with a new language data set. For instance, if you will train it with a Portuguese data set, and it will, will probably learn fast how to translate Portuguese speech into text. Because that's so, what you call transfer learning. Mm. When you, you have a model trained for something, and you retrain it for something that's similar. Is it better? I've, I've been curious about this. And again, I'm someone who really doesn't know a lot about ML, haven't done a lot of work with it. So this might be kind of a newbie question. Is it better to create one model with an expansive set of features? So let's say it's a language model. Um, is it better to create one model that can handle every language? Or is it better to create multiple different models that are very good at one particular thing? Like I've been wondering that with regards to things like mid-journey, like should you make a mid-journey that can do everything or should you have like a mid-journey for this style of art, uh, another one for this style of art, like kind of narrowing in on specifics? Um, uh, that's not a noobie question, that's a good question, just to start with that. Um, it's I don't probably know if it's better. one of those questions that has an it depends answer as well. So It, de it probably depends, but I, I, I'd say that it's probably better that, that you train on a more specific task because that's what we, we currently have the tools for. Mm -hmm. But I'll say this. Imagine you have a version of the model that knows English, another version that knows Portuguese, Another that knows Spanish and a fourth one that knows Klingon. <laughs> you could switch between those manually. Like you know that someone is feeding Portuguese data and you use the Portuguese version, or you could have a, a fifth model that detects which language is being used, mm -hmm. and that model will switch between the, the correct models. So you actually use an ensemble of models instead of a just single instead of a single model. But yeah, if you treat that as a black box, now you have a single model that can understand four languages. So you basically have another bit of machine learning to determine which bit of machine learning you should use. Mm -hmm. So you have something that's responsible for like, hey, what language is this and which model should I use just as like a simple example? Should I use the English model, the Spanish model, et cetera? Um, and that would be a way of coordinating it. Huh, that's really fascinating. Yeah. Because generally when you, you... sorry, bud. Uh, that's a, a, a phenomenon similar to what happens in neural networks with, with multiple layers. When you go about seeing which, what, what each layer is, is actually detecting, if you have a, a neural net, net that's trained on images, probably the first layers will detect edges or general shapes, and the later layers will detect, uh, okay, so this is a face, this is a hand, this is an arm, so you can detect a, a person, and a later layer will detect who actually is that person. Um, it goes from general features into more and more specific features. 
basically. And that's inside a, a given model, but you can actually have the same idea with in chaining different models. Wow. That's that's probably the most interesting thing in, in ML that I've I've seen. That's that's gotten me really interested in actually learning more about that. Um, I want to ask, and apologies if anyone wants to ask questions. I don't mean to monopolize the uh, the question asking, but whenever I talk to Paulo, I get really excited. Um, so I want to ask the question. Uh, you have you mentioned earlier that you're integrating it. So you're integrating this with um, going from Whisper, and you said you were doing some integration with Bumblebee, I think. So mm -hmm. can you talk to me about how those things are combining again for for someone who knows very little about either piece? Yeah. So. Uh, Bumblebee uh, is a library to load pre-trained models from Hugging Face or any any model repository, but Hugging Face. Uh, but when we load it, we load basically a set of instructions on how to build the the model layout, and then we load the weights. It's not exactly that, but you can think about like. Uh, imagine you have you buy a Lego set and you have the instructions to assemble it, mm -hmm. but you assemble it without any colors, and then you load the colors afterwards. But the colors will only load correctly if you have the same pieces on the same places. Hmm. So Bumblebee knows how to assemble pieces given that it knows which piece it is. So sometimes you need to implement new instructions, new new kinds of layers. But other times you need to implement different feature extractors. Feature extractors for your inputs. Hmm. I think I'm still struggling with it. But maybe someone else is is uh, more familiar with this. And well, let me take a step back and give an analogy that I gave on thinking Elixir that might mm -hmm. have help with why we need to do that. Um, imagine you go to the movies and it's a three D movie, but you went into the the the, the theater without the three D glasses. When you sit down to watch the movie, you you see loads of jumbled pieces, jumbled images, <laughs> and you won't be able to understand it. The data is there, but you can separate it properly. When you use the glasses, each of the lenses will separate the data, basically half, half of the image to one eye, another half with, to the other eye. And now your brain can interpret it as a 3D movie. Interesting. And so let me let me see if I'm understanding correctly. Bumblebee is taking the result of Whisper. It's taking what is provided by Whisper. It's on the end of the pipeline, or is so that the beginning Bumblebee of the pipeline? Bumblebee is providing is providing Whisper for you to use. Okay. It's loading okay. Whisper from Hugging Face. Okay. And the feature extraction is how you get the feature extraction is the 3D glasses. It's how you get the audio file into something that Whisper can understand. 
but Bumblebee oh, okay. needs to to have that that built in built in for it to provide just a single interface for you to just feed the audio and get the output from it whispered. Do we, for Elixir purposes, for Bumblebee, do we have to create these kinds of one at a time translations for any given Bumble uh, hugging face? Uh, model that we want to bring into Bumblebee, we can't just sort of like generally abstract. Um, different models use similar pieces, mm -hmm. so over time you you probably won't have to to add that many different things. But yes, uh, in general, you have for each model, you need to ensure that Bumblebee supports the the building blocks. So I have like possibly a contentious uh, line of questioning around this mm -hmm. um, that hopefully we can get into some kind of fight. Um, wh why bother building Bumblebee at all? I mean, if you go to Hugging Face, like they give you everything you need in Python. Uh, Python is fast; it's supported. You have PyTorch. So there's probably five thousand times as many Python engineers in the world as Elixir engineers. Like if I was anything other than an Elixir fanboy, which I am, um, there would maybe be zero value whatsoever of like Bumblebee existing in the world. Like when anyone else would just go and, and use it in Python. So like, what does Bumblebee like contribute to the to, to the planet? Uh, the answer to this is a, is actually the answer to a more general question. Why an X? Yeah. That's the actual question. Right. And basically, there's some, some points of view here. One is you already have your system in Elixir and you want to add machine learning to it. Having an X will be the whole ecosystem enables you to not have to bring people that know another language or bring another language in, into your system. Having to interface between languages generally adds um, issues. Like you, you have to know how to do interoperation between languages. Being able to keep everything in Elixir is one advantage. The other advantage is uh, an X can run on Raspberry Pi, for instance. So now you can have your data collection running the same language in the same system as the the server that does the heavy lifting for computing. And the Beam has clusterization capabilities that make that easy. You can have your Raspberry Pi on the edge running on the same cluster as your main server. That's another approach. And there are some things that we we still want to, to do, um, which will be easy, ease both training and classification. Um, imagine you have a computer that has a CPU and two GPUs. We don't have that right now, but you can't share the load, the workload between the GPU and the CPU, the two GPUs and the CPU. 
Okay, so now imagine you have that capability done. How do you share workload between a whole cluster of computers? In Elixir, that would be easy because you could just cluster clusterize everything and now every device on the cluster would be available to an orchestrator that would share the load between the whole cluster in Elixir, in an X. Hmm. That's one so of the things that we're aiming for. So because of Beam and clustering, some of the things that are actually unique to the Elixir architecture could, could give an advantage to some of these ML tasks other mm -hmm. than just, we like Elixir and we don't want to write Python. Exactly. Okay, that's great, because I felt, I was worried that maybe it was just, well, we like Elixir. And I, I worry that that's like, that's not good enough, because if you're um, an engineering manager or a, or a CTO of a product, you've got the level of support for things like PyTorch and TensorFlow and all of the, all of the resources in the world of ML that are written by and for Python plus access to a, presumably a large pool of experienced Python engineers, people graduating, doing Python academic and other places every day, everywhere in the world, that it would be, a, I think, a really tough sell to say, no, do this in Elixir. Mm -hmm. Here's why. Yeah, we're currently not at that point yet. But there's that's one of our main goals, like mid 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 term. To actually like make the yeah. case to say like, look, look what the beam can do. Look what mm -hmm. the Elixir architecture allows for. Yes. Concurrency, fault tolerance, clustering, etc. Okay, that's very compelling. I gotta say, Benny, I really appreciated you coming in and pulling a coffeezilla there uh, with the hard-hitting questions because um, that resulted in, I think, a really, really interesting discussion. Um, I'm almost, I'm seeing a parallel, Paula, to bring it a step higher. The, the answer to the question seemed to be, um, why is Elixir useful? Like, it, it, it eventually came that deep where it's like, what makes Elixir special? And that's the reason that doing some of these tax, tasks within the Elixir ecosystem becomes beneficial. So I know that uh, ML and NX in general is still, I, I maybe you disagree because um, I have an outsider opinion on it, but it seems like it's still in the fresh phases. I wouldn't call it early, but it's still growing. It's still finding its use cases. Um, I know it's, uh, it seems like it's Jose Valine's big focus in general in the Elixir ecosystem right now. So yeah, to it's, see it's that one of, of it is really It's one of Jose's biggest focuses. It's not the biggest because uh, I remember he, him talking about three pillars uh, on both Codebean Brazil and ElixirConf last year. Um, one of those is machine learning, but the other is Elixir as a learning tool, I think, like Livebook and that area. I can't remember the third one, but I remember there were three big focuses that he, he talked about. I've definitely been benefiting a lot from that second one. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, using Livebook, 
uh, and the changes they've been making there. Um, it's been really amazing uh, how responsive Joe, Jose is, how um, he's been going back and forth uh, with me on occasion uh, through the, the GitHub on features that are directly useful for the Academy. Um, and that might be a great transition point, actually, to talk a little bit about Dockyard Academy, some of the news that's been coming up. Uh, we are launching our first cohort. Um, it is launching on January 30th. So at the time of recording, that's in 17 days. Um, I can feel the heat of that deadline coming up, but I'm really excited. Uh, the first cohort of students have already been selected. So anyone listening, I apologize. This is not uh, an invitation to the first cohort. However, there will be ways to get involved with the next one. Uh, the first cohort is um, not quite a beta. We've already done a beta, but it's going to be our first full cohort. So students were randomly selected through lottery um, to belong to part of that cohort based off of who uh, reached out to us through our mailing lists. Uh, and the first 10 students for that cohort have been selected. Uh, they're going to be going through that curriculum uh, with me for about three months and one week. And that is going to be a free cohort. But after that, if people do want to get involved, uh, the second cohort uh, is going to be a paid model. So the uh, open source curriculum is always going to be free. People can go through self-paced through a curriculum, through Livebook, um, at their own pace for free. And that's, that's always going to be true. Um, the teaching where they are part of the cohort, they get on the Dockyard Discord, they receive direct support from myself. Uh, we do full-time teaching. So I'm teaching from 9.30 to 3 p.m. every weekday with the students. Uh, they go through the projects, the assignments, the exercises, the interactive instruction. Um, that is going to be paid when it launches just so that there's complete clarity there. Because uh, I found it really difficult to in one breath say, our curriculum is free, our course is not. And there can sometimes be some confusion there. So I just wanna uh, clear everything up there in case there's any confusion, but we're really excited. So I'm really looking forward to the cohort. I've gotten to meet all of the students, uh, which is my favorite part, getting to meet the people that I'm actually going to be spending the next three months or so with. Uh, and we are finishing up the beta. We've been doing a beta program with some students. That's been a smaller course load. So it's been two hours a day rather than the full 9.30 to 6. Uh, I've been building the material as we do it in response to feedback from the students. So that was really focused more on building the actual curriculum. And then this first cohort is going to be, okay, now what's it like to teach a full cohort? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we can spend uh, the remaining bit of our time here chatting about that. If anyone has questions about the academy, how it's grown, what's going on. Now is the time. There will be multiple cohorts per year, about every six months. Yeah, so our current schedule that we have is it'll be three months of a cohort and then one month off where I'm doing content review, responding okay. to changes in the ecosystem. You know, we're, we're updating from Phoenix 1.6 uh, to 1.7. Um, so that'll come with uh, changes, of course, in the material. And so there'll be about a month where I do content review. Um, right now, the way we're doing it is it's three months of actual classes. 
Uh, and then there, there's about a week, a week dedicated to giving the students some extra time for their capstone project, the project they complete at the end of the cohort. So that'll mean um, three cohorts a year with one teacher. Eventually, um, mm -hmm. depending on the level of success of the program, we can expand that out, run multiple cohorts, get different teachers. But right now, um, I'm, I'm kind of a one man army in terms of uh, I can uh, I'll, I'll be the primary teacher. So that'll be we do three cohorts a year. Do you said so about 13 weeks? Maybe three months. Yeah, yeah. three um, months and a little bit extra for, you know, handling the, the last of, parts of the cohort. Obviously, that's, you know, going to be a challenge for certain types of students. You probably are you seeing pattern in the in the types of students that are available to do this because you'd have to be um, not working self-sufficient and have a source of income or parents support mm -hmm. and, and 13 weeks to do something full-time that doesn't pay you. Really, really great comment. So I don't know if I've seen true patterns. I think we've got a pretty wide variety of students. Um, however, yeah, absolutely. Uh, do the reality of parents? Yes. <laughs> Many of them don't live with their parents. Um, that's actually been a funny thing. I've had a lot of people assume that the demographic of the academy is going to be all, you know, 20 somethings who are supported by their parents, who have a bunch of, um, you know, financial support. Uh, it's really not that way. There's been a massive spread. We have people um, in kind of retirement age or uh, people who are, you know, it really spans the entire spectrum of age and place in life, and uh, which is interesting because, to be honest, when I went through uh, a boot camp five years ago now, maybe more, um, it really was like focused very much on a particular demographic. I couldn't tell you why the academy is drawing such a wide, uh, varied kind of demo of people, but it definitely is. And so are I'm really any, happy um, to say that. Are you seeing any gender diversity? Honestly, that is something that I really want us to figure out how to grow because, so we did it through randomized lot. We didn't take um, gender into account at all. So we randomly selected people and because of the nature of tech, mathematically that means you're unlikely to randomly select uh, female students, right? If you have for simple math, if you had 10 people um, sign up and statistically speaking, between one and two of them would be women, then you would um, select one to two people. So I'm really not happy with the amount of diversity in that area that we've seen so far. The beta did have um, one of our students was female, um, but I'd really like to figure out how to grow that, how to make it a more inviting space. I think we'll also see more growth in that area when it becomes a uh, paid cohort that anyone can sign up to rather than something we're doing by random lottery, because that means you're not just uh, randomly selecting. We can now go to specific areas, try to find places to market that would um, draw more female engineers in uh, and try to grow those things. So that's going to be a huge... Okay the nature of the obligation will select for a socioeconomically privileged uh, group and males tend to be more socioeconomically privileged in many cases. Yeah, it's um, very true. Do you think there will be opportunities for like scholarships or grants 
um, for low income or minorities? That's something we've discussed internally. Um, we haven't come to anything solid yet, but I know that it's a priority of the team. Uh, it's something that we do want to make a bit available. Um, but I don't have a concrete form for that yet. Mm -hmm. Another, um, I'll hit you with a few more. Let's see. I, I wonder if they're in the future also like some opportunity for, um, alternate schedules or maybe like a lighter version or, you know, the, the, the night class, the, uh, mm -hmm. the 12 hour a week, uh, evening and evening and weekend kind of, uh, working, working person or person mm -hmm. with childcare obligations. Um, yeah. So right now we only have the two complete opposite ends of the spectrum. We have the completely at your own pace, unguided, anyone can do this, which I'm really proud that we can offer that because that does give people who wouldn't traditionally have the time, the ability to go through the course. But that said, um, and you're hitting a, a bunch of points. I want to say thank you. You're hitting a bunch of points that I am really um, hoping to grow as we continue to prove the curriculum. We're still in the phase of, does this work? Do people want this? Is this sustainable? Um, and as it grows, I'm hoping to expand to options for say part-time, uh, more flexible. Maybe we can do a weekend course. We also right now are limited to me as one teacher. So if we have extra mm -hmm. teachers, maybe we have the ability to create. Now, a few things I'm really excited about. Um, some of the graduating students of the beta are putting together resources to make these materials more available and to create a supportive community around them. Uh, yeah. So as a side project, I do Elixir Newbie and they are taking that community and adding a portion to it. It would essentially be people who want to go through the academy at their own pace. They would self-support each other, do it as a community. Uh -huh. um, and so those I think will be some opportunities for people who, you know, cause as much as I think being able to do it at your own pace is fantastic. There's something about having mentorship, guidance, Absolutely. support, like you just can't replace that. And this still won't be a replacement for that. Like I said, I hope we can offer part-time options in the future, but I think these types of opportunities growing in the community will help make it more available to people who uh, wouldn't be supported by the, you know, it's a, it's a heavy level of commitment. I completely understand right. that from nine 30 to uh, 3 PM is, is that's a big commitment. Another idea. Maybe I'm just brainstorming. Um, and forgive me if this Please is do. you've ruled out or, or whatever, but no, no, I love this. Maybe in the future, there can be like modules that are independent. Like you could, you could take just the, um, just the Phoenix aspect or, or just the, I don't know, math and computer science or something. And, and, and that way sort of split it and be like, well, what could I actually do in uh, you know, 12 hours a week for three months? Um, and people could sort of a la carte. Now I know that'd be difficult because you're, you're building off of prior lessons and creating a linear flow of, of education. So that would, you know, making it somewhat nonlinear and having people able to sort of choose different parts and maybe say, Oh, I'll come back and I'll do the Phoenix maybe next uh, year might be difficult, but it could, it could be an interesting direction to go with some of it or to add future modules that don't fit things that work too much to fit into the current three month plan as sort of bonus, um, extra, extracurricular 
uh, modules that could be tacked on. I really love that idea. We've thought about different ways of delivering the course. And I will admit that um, separating it into smaller chunks, honestly, we haven't thought of that. So I love that idea. Uh, I think, yeah, of course, there's going to be unique challenges to that. But I could see separating into, well, if you don't care about web development, here's just Elixir fundamentals. Uh, I've played around with the idea of offering some kind of like early fundamentals course, maybe something smaller, like a, you know, maybe a two week, a four week, something to make it so that students with different backgrounds, because we've got people who have um, existing programming experience. We have people who have absolutely no programming experience, um, you have a, a range of initial backgrounds. So if you could have some kind of maybe two week, four week fundamentals course, that could also be mm -hmm. a great primer, could be great for people who don't have the ability to commit to everything. Or like you said, you could separate out, maybe we do just the OTP portion and you have to have some Elixir fundamentals right. if you want to do that. Or we do just the web development portion and, you know, same thing. I could see how yeah. splitting up the course is that very, really that's fascinating. A very, that's a lot of complexity for you to handle, but um, from the biggest limitation right now is teachers, right? Mm -hmm. We need to prove that as a single teacher delivering the entire course, that people want this, right? I'm confident that that's going to happen, but we actually need to prove that. And then once we prove that people are taking the course, we have a reliable number of students. We know that this is something that people are going to pay for and want to do. Then there's growth opportunity there. There's okay. Well, can we, we've talked about offering uh, more advanced courses. So maybe doing some corporate training, uh, maybe just offering a advanced Elixir course, because right now we really focus on how do you go from zero to hireable Elixir web developer. But maybe we go beyond that and start looking at more intermediate or even senior courses. Um, yeah, so I think there's there's a phenomenal number of ways to grow Dockyard Academy, um, provided the Elixir, we... The Elixir ML course. Exactly, exactly, right? There's a lot of different areas to expand it into. Um, and I'm excited to keep making new courses, keep making new content, new materials. So this is obviously, we're now stepping into future vision of the Academy, but I'm really excited to see where it grows. Because uh, I, I don't think, uh, in fact, I was told for a very specific reason, we called it Dockyard Academy, not Elixir Academy for a very particular reason. Um, and that's that there are a lot of trainings we could offer under the Dockyard Academy umbrella. Right now we're really focused on Elixir, but in the future, maybe that changes, maybe that expands. So I'm, I'm excited to see them. There you go, there you go. Uh, so we'll see how the Dockyard Academy empire uh, grows in the future. <laughs> awesome. Um, so I know that we're hitting uh, our kind of last mark here. Um, did anyone have any final things they want to bring up before we call the episode to a close today? All right. Uh, I will end it off by just saying if anyone wants to get more information about Dockyard Academy, um, they can uh, reach out to me uh, either directly through email. Um, I'm brooklyn at dockyard.com, or we also have a Dockyard Academy uh, sign-up newsletter that you can get involved with. We'll include the link to that in the show notes. 
Uh, feel free to send me a message, express your interest, or sign up to our newsletter to receive more information on when the next cohort is available and when we're going to be accepting students. Uh, I hope you all have a excellent rest of your day, rest of your week, and we will catch you on the next episode.